As you've just seen on the video, we're starting a new series uh, that we have entitled Proverbs Search for Wisdom. And over the next uh, couple months, we'll be probably finishing this series in the middle of September as we're getting back into our fall schedules and that. But we want to dedicate uh, some time uh, to the focus of seeking out the wisdom that comes from this Old Testament book of Proverbs. And years ago, uh, we used to seek out wisdom and insight from people who were older than us, whether it was our parents or, or a grandparent or maybe someone we knew, wisdom was seen in, in the eyes and, and through the words of someone who had experienced life a whole lot more than we had. And we could go as younger people and say, you know, how do I do this? You know, how do I pick the right school to go to uh, for college next fall? How do I pick the right spouse? How do I um, uh, do better at managing my money? And we would go to older people and we would, we would seek out those answers. But with the advent of technology, instead of turning to those wiser and more mature individuals who had lived life, many of us go to our iPads and to our iPhones and, and to the internet to seek out the answers. Just to give you a, a, an idea of how much we focus or, or put our attention to the internet to answer the questions that are most pressing to us, just to use one statistic from one private search engine called Google, we can find out that we have turned from looking to others for wisdom and knowledge and turn to the internet. To give you an idea, Google boasts more than 100 billion searches with questions that people are seeking for every month. 100 billion every month. And uh, in the first couple years that Google was around, they were able to boast a 50% answer, if you will, rate. What that means is, is that Google said that when you put something in the search box, they were able 50% of the time to find out what you were looking for, to answer that question that you had. Now fast forward 15 years from that statistic, and now they boast more than a 90% answer rate. And that's not good enough. One of the representatives on an interview with CNBC not too long ago said that we are looking forward at Google to the day when we will be able to answer every question that anyone could ever ask. And then he unveiled what is called the knowledge graph that Google's been working on for some time that uses your previous searches to be able to understand really what the question you're asking so they can give you the best answer. Now here's the problem. When we seek out um, the answers from the internet, Sometimes we get the right answers. Sometimes we don't. The Internet's not always the greatest place to go for the answers that we're looking for. Not too long ago, I had a a headache that was going on right, what seemingly was right behind my eye. And I wanted to know this was not an an average headache. I wanted to find out what it was. And so I went to Google and said, you know, what is a headache behind the eye? What is that a symptom of? And so it moved me then to WebMD, which said it was one of two things. A headache caused by inflamed sinuses or a watermelon-sized tumor that I needed to get removed right away, okay? And so we need to understand that when we turn to places like the Internet, man-made answers to knowledge and wisdom, we're not always going to get the right answers. We're not, sometimes it's going to address or bring up more questions than it does answers. And I want you to know that God isn't angry with us when we seek out wisdom or insight. In fact, God cares more about our knowledge and wisdom than we probably do ourselves. And that's why one of the 66 books of the Bible 
that God has in this canon, this love letter to us, is a book called Proverbs. And so for the rest of the summer, you and I as a church are going to turn to the original and most amazing search engine of them all, the Word of God. And we're going to see what God's Word says because the Bible tells us, in fact, Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. And I want to remind you, if the Bible is able to answer the most important eternal question that we have as people, should not the Bible be the place where we turn to for the more easier temporal questions to be answered? To be able to turn to them and and to get the answer that we're looking for. And so today what I want to do is, as a way of introduction, to understand the concept of what Proverbs are and the role that they play in our lives. But in order to do that, we need to seek out what Proverbs says about itself. And so I'm going to ask you to turn, if you haven't already, to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And as we search for the wisdom of God, let us stand and give reverence to that word and to that wisdom as I read our passage before you. So let's look to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Here's what the opening of Proverbs says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Father God, as we come before you, Lord, as we open your word, as your word is in our hands, Lord, I pray that it will penetrate into our heads and to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that we would see the importance of turning to you, the fountain of all wisdom and all knowledge. Lord, we are a people who lack wisdom. We are a people who lack knowledge. And and it is easy, it is tempting for us to go find the answers in this world. And Lord, while the world sometimes gets it right, we know you always get it right. We know where you lead is always pure and always blameless and always good. And so Lord, let us set our hearts on things above, not on earthly things. And, And Lord, most especially that we would set our hearts on the wisdom of heaven and not simply the wisdom here on earth. So Lord, lead us in this time. Speak through your speaker this morning that uh, I may be able to speak these truths, Lord, as you would see fit. And Lord, we give you the glory for it. And and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, I want to start this series and this sermon highlighting how I've entitled the message. God wants you to be a wise guy. Now I know that wise guy has mafia connotations, but I want you to recognize that God desires for us to be a wise and knowledgeable people. For many of us, we seemingly skirt the issue of being wise and knowledgeable because we're lazy. 
And for many of us, we will skirt that issue by using something that sounds really sanctimonious. And we'll say, you know what, I don't pursue too much of the Bible. I don't pursue too much knowledge. I don't pursue too much wisdom. Because my faith is what I would like to call a simple faith. It is a childlike faith. And and I want to remind you that, that Proverbs 19 verse 8. I'm going to share a lot of Proverbs with you, so have your pen ready uh, because they're all over the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs 19.8 says that you and I as Christ followers are called to get wisdom, to grab a hold of wisdom. And the writer Solomon, when he says that we get wisdom, we, when we find it, we love our souls and we discover something good. And yet for many of us, we, we push it away and we say that, that's not that important. And I want you to be reminded what verse 7 says in Proverbs chapter 1, that fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so God is not okay with you saying, well, the very little I know, that's all I need to know. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a small group teacher. I'm not uh, teaching the kids Sunday school. And so what little I know about Jesus is good enough. God says, no, I want you to know all of me, all the wisdom and, and all of the knowledge that I have revealed about myself to you. I want you to know that. I want you to grab a hold of it. But what is that wisdom that God is wanting us to grab a hold of? John Piper puts it this way, notice the screen in front of you, that wisdom is the practical knowledge of how to attain true and lasting happiness. Let's just do an unscientific poll here. How many of you desire a true and lasting happiness? See a show of hands. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, I want to talk with you later because something's wrong with you and we need to get you some help. All of us desire true and lasting happiness. Now notice where we get it. It begins, as we're going to learn in our text this morning, it begins with the fear of the Lord and consistent humbly hearing and doing God's will, both in the scriptures and in the unique circumstances of the moment. Such wisdom is essential because the person who finds it finds life and joy, and the one who doesn't finds only death and and misery. And so what God wants us to know, and through that definition of of Pastor Piper, we can know that, that if we do not find this wisdom, our life isn't going to be as good as it could be if we found the wisdom and took and, and attained and, and held tightly to the wisdom that God gives. Well, how are we to get it? The Apostle Paul tells us, as he shares with a young pastor, that, that those who are approved by God are those who rightly divide the word of truth. And what that means is, is to rightly divide the word of truth is to take God's word and rightly apply it to the right situations. One of the biggest uh, um, things that really gets me frustrated with the Christian world is when Christians take scripture totally out of context and apply it wrongly to their life or to their circumstances. We need to understand that there's a context to whatever Scripture is. And we are quick to point out that the cults take Scripture out of context. Well, let me tell you, it's not only the cults that do it. We do it all the time. 
One of my, my biggest pet peeves is, is a, a passage that is used all the time in all of Scripture. So I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 20, verses 10 and 11. Plans to prosper, give you a future and a hope. And we take that and say, yes, that's, that's for me. That's wonderful. But what we forget is uh, that there are 70 years of captivity for God's people. The very verse before that. We like the plans that God has for us. Not the 70 years of captivity that God was sharing with Jeremiah. That the people of God the Israelites would have in the nation of Babylon. And so we need to be very careful. Does that mean that we can't apply that? No, what it means is make sure you put it into context. And so what we need to be able to do is rightly apply what the Bible says and what we many times do is we take a shotgun or machine gun approach to the application of Scripture. What we do is we just start shooting the Scriptures out and just hoping one of them will hit the target, that one of them will, will hit the bullseye. And God says what I'm looking for is a single shot to the bullseye mark, if you will, on the target. And to be able to do that, we have to rightly apply the word of truth. And that's what we need to remember as we approach this book of Proverbs. God is going to reveal these nuggets of wisdom to us, but to be able to understand them and to be able to use them properly, notice the first point this morning, we have to, if we're going to glean wisdom from the book of Proverbs, we need to put them in their proper place. We need to understand how Proverbs are to be applied to our lives. And to be able to do that, let's get a definition, not of wisdom, but of Proverbs. So there's a proper definition that we need to pursue. The word Proverbs itself is a compound Latin word that, that literally is proverb. P-R-O-V-E-R-B. A proverb. What it means is, in the Latin, in place of words. Or in place of speaking. So what is a proverb? It is a short statement that encapsulates wisdom. Some of you wish that there was less preaching and more Proverbs, okay? And you you wish that. Let me remind you that of the 66 books of the Bible, there is only one book that has Proverbs. The rest are more about preaching. And so, yes, there's a place for short, pithy statements that encapsulate wisdom, But also understand there's a place for long and drawn-out spoken words. Well, what is this proverb? It has been said that a proverb is a short saying that would otherwise take a long sermon to get across. To put probably the best definition together, let's throw it on the screen. and You can write this down. It will help to remind you of what proverbs are. They are highly compressed, carefully chosen words of wisdom that have been skillfully crafted to stick in our minds so that our behavior changes. And so what that means is the writer, Solomon, who writes the majority of them, he doesn't write all of them, but he writes the majority of them, has put together short, compressed, carefully chosen words that are skillfully crafted to get you to think about how your conduct, how your life, how you, your approach to a certain thing needs to change. To put it another way, a proverb is a short sentence founded upon a long experience. A short, a short sentence founded upon a long experience. And we see proverbs all the time. Uh, one of the ones that comes to mind right off the bat is the early bird gets the worm. 
Okay? Well, what does that mean? It's a short statement to say, you know, get going. And that if you're the last one in line, you're going to get leftovers. So be the first one in line, and you'll make sure you get the best choices at the things. It's a short statement that, that you could expound on for a long time. So now we understand what Proverbs are, these short statements that encapsulate wisdom that are skillfully crafted to, to be reminded of important truths and to change our behavior. We need to ask the question, what, what makes them different than all the other scriptures? What makes them different? It's crucial that as we approach this issue of the Proverbs, that we understand what kind of teaching they are to provide. Many of us find ourselves in a bad spot simply because we forget that there is a difference between Proverbs and promises. So let me explain what I mean by that. A careful study of the Old Testament will show you that there are five genres or five types of literature in the Old Testament. You may want to write these down as a way of reminder so that you know what we understand uh, the narrative of the Old Testament to be about. First of all, we need to understand that there, the Old Testament contains laws or, or commands. In the first five books of the, the Bible and, 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 and spread out throughout the Old Testament are laws or commands that God's given. The uh, best place to understand these would be the Ten Commandments, okay? Or the, or the first five books of the Bible, you know, where it, where it says to the people of Israel, uh, don't do this, do that, you know. Uh, if this happens, then, then do X, Y, and Z. Commands, not suggestions, but commands God has given his people to do. Number two is the genre of history or, or the bio, biography. We just got done with this type of genre uh, by searching uh, what it was to look at the life of Samson. Here is the life of a man or the, the events or... or um, the issues that, that, that a group of people were dealing with. And we see that in, in books of the Bible. A lot of the, the Old Testament is history. We see it in First and Second Samuel and uh, First and Second Kings and, and the Chronicles. We see that with the story of Esther and, and uh, the story of Nehemiah and Ezra and Job. Uh, our, our histories of, uh, of what are going on in the lives of people and people groups that were near and dear to the heart of God. The third group, or the third thing we see are promises. Promises that God gives his people. Promises that say, if you do this, God says, I promise to do that. And, and so we see that throughout where God says, okay, you're going to be here for this amount of time, but I'm going to come and, and deliver you. So one of the promises that, that the Old Testament shares about is a passage I just talked about. Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 is a promise to a group of people that for 70 years they're going to endure captivity under the hand of the mighty uh, Assyrians and, and Babylonians but then after those 70 years are done, God says, hey, i got some plans for you that I've declared to you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And what he's saying is, is in 70 years, Jeremiah, even though you're crying and, and, and wailing and mourning over your captivity, in 70 years it's all going to be done. And God says, I promise I'm going to bring you back to myself. And God fulfills that promise uh, when he releases Haggai and a group of individuals to go back and rebuild the temple. Then there's words of prophecy. There was words of prophecy. And we see the prophets speak two types of prophecy. 
Always remember that prophetic words can involve two things. It can involve foretelling, which is thus saith the Lord. And we see this happen all the time with the prophets where they'll say, hey, the Lord has said this. The Lord has told us to do this thing. And we see that again in the, in the prophet of Haggai who, who says, hey, you're to go and build a temple for God. Stop building your own homes and start building a temple for the Lord. But we also recognize from passages or books of the Bible like Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and Joel and, and, and others that they foretell. And what, I'm sorry, foretell, not foretell, foretell, which is different than foretelling because it's telling of the future. And so we see Isaiah, of course, foretelling the coming of Jesus. And we see the book of Daniel foretelling uh, the events that are still yet to come. And so we've got prophecy within the, the Old Testament. And then let me remind you of the Proverbs. Proverbs are a catchy way to observe, listen, the way things generally are. But they are not a precept or a promise. What that means is what we are reading are to be understood as descriptive things, not prescriptive. What that means is these Proverbs that we're reading are for our living, our generalizations about the way things generally turn out. So let's, let's explain that. When we read a proverb, we cannot assume that just because we do what the book of Proverbs says, things are going to turn out that way. Give you an example. Train up a child in the way he should go, right? Some of you have, have, have not interpreted the, the context of Scripture properly and you've said, wait a minute, we raised our kid in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We sent them to church, and they had the best education in that way. Uh, we have trained them and discipled them and, and grown them. And so now we're looking at our 25-year-old kid, and they want nothing to do with the Lord. God, you messed up. No, God said that uh, it is a good thing to train your child in the way that they should go. And generally, when you do those things... Uh, Good, good results will take place, but not always. Remember, this is the book of Proverbs, not promises. Another one is Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, let's ask Jesus how that turned out. When Jesus was betrayed, Jesus gave gentle answers, right? And Jesus didn't stop and say, wait a minute, I read Proverbs 15.1, and it said if I'm gentle, they're not going to punch me or rip my beard out or put a, a crown of thorns on my head. Wait a minute, God, you said in the book of Proverbs, which we can say it promises, no. Jesus understood more than anybody that when we are gentle with others, there's a, a good uh, chance or opportunity that, uh, that it's not going to turn out that way. But not always. Not always will that be the case. And so when we read these things, be very careful not to assume that if I do X, Y, and Z, that it will turn out to a certain thing. With Proverbs, one plus one doesn't always equal two. There's a good opportunity or there's a general idea that they will, but not always. So then we need to understand how were they designed to teach us. Notice that. They're, how are they designed to teach us? I want you to understand that Proverbs are, to be, are designed to be read slowly. They're to be thought over, prayerfully considered. That we shouldn't race through them or handle them carelessly. We shouldn't just grab a proverb 
without using care or discernment to the implications of it. Be careful, Christian, that you don't use Proverbs as a magic potion for what ails you. They are designed to be studied and memorized and meditated on and practice it. They need to be practiced. So why did God write them? What was his design for the book of Proverbs? God wrote them to teach his people how to live, how to act in every circumstance, because he wanted his people to be an understanding people, a just people, a fair people in everything that they did. In essence, God wants you to be wise in all circumstances. That's why the book of Proverbs is there. Now, I believe that the book of Proverbs is one of the most neglected evangelistic tools that we have. You know, we want so badly, we say, well, I would be an evangelist. I would evangelize more if someone would teach me how to do it. So, so give me that little box of evangelism, that, that little box that has the bow with all the carefully crafted words and, and, and all the answers that, that someone may bring up. And, and I will tell you, Forget that. Those may be tools that maybe we can use, but but let me tell you what I have come to recognize and know is probably the best evangelistic tool. That is, be the wisest person in the group at work. Be the wisest person in the the neighborhood. Be the wisest person uh, in, in your family. And people will come and ask you questions. How do I know that? Solomon is the writer. And we know that Solomon's wisdom captured the uh, heart and mind of a very, very influential person. You know who came to seek wisdom from Solomon? The queen of Sheba. And she comes, and the reason why she comes, she, she didn't come because Solomon had, had all these riches or, or he was an incredibly handsome man. She came, an influential person herself came, because she recognized in Solomon that he had the answers to the di- life's most difficult questions. And I will tell you, when we start living out the book of Proverbs in our lives, and we are viewed as the wisest person, people will come. And they'll say, what is the source of your wisdom? How is it that when good times come, you know how to respond? When bad times come, you know how to respond? How is it that you seemingly have the answer to whatever ails you, and you do so with joy and contentment welling up in your heart? Give me the answer to that to which you can say, it ain't me, I'm a dummy. But it's the God whom I serve. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about where I find the answers to this. And it's many of the reasons why people don't respond to the gospel as we would want them to is the sinner sees no difference in you and I than they see in their own lives. They say, what, what wisdom are you getting from this gospel? What, what, what truth are you getting? What knowledge are you getting? Seems like you're drowning in this life just like I am. So why would I turn to you for the answer or the life preserver that will get us out? You're drowning just like I am. So here's what God did in his grace. He put in the heart of a godly king who now is aged and, and lived a long life, who now is penning some words Uh, to uh, his son. He's penning these words, in essence, to say, you know what? I want to help you, son. I want to help you, son, to live a a good life. I want you to live a pleasant life. I want you to live a, a wise life. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I've gleaned from life. And Solomon had lived a a pretty 
incredible life, and he had much to share with his children, and especially his son, to which he writes this book to. But might I add that it's not just Solomon who writes this word, but God himself, our Father in heaven, who writes to you and I, his children, and says, let me share some wisdom with you. Let me share some insight. And just as the classic TV show reminds us that Father knows best, that our God knows best, and he wants to share some thoughts with us. So what what is he wanting to share? What words of wisdom? Notice in our text this morning that God wants to share through the pen of Solomon the art of living well. The art of living well. i got to give you the second point. I blew right by that. You need to understand the purpose of the book. Understand the purpose of it. And what's the purpose? The purpose is the art of living well. Notice in the text in verse 2 that Solomon begins and God reminds us that the reason why he writes Proverbs is that we may know wisdom and instruction and understand words of insight. Let's stop at that word wisdom. That word wisdom is the Greek, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word uh, chokmah. Chokmah uh, is not what we would think wisdom would be. This word hakma in the Hebrew language didn't mean head knowledge or even heart knowledge as many times we would translate wisdom. It spoke of the idea of skill. This word hakma would be used when someone would show a prowess with regards to something they were doing. If a musician was really, really talented at what they were doing, they would speak of that musician with this word hakma. If it was a craftsman or a, an artisan uh, or a student who was excelling, who was doing uh, really, really well at their craft, we would speak of someone uh, who uh, was wise, who was skilled in, in their in their area of work. Chakma would be the word that would be used. So now move it back to the issue of Proverbs. This idea of bringing wisdom to life. And and what uh, Solomon is writing is is God wants to give us this chakma, this wisdom that allows us to skillfully live life according to God and his ways. So let me ask you this question this morning. How skilled are you at living life? at facing the problems that are going to come tomorrow? How skilled are you at handling whatever comes your way? One of the most attractive things that I I looked for as as a teenager in the lives of older people around me, the guys that I wanted to hang out with. And one of the reasons why in many ways I I idolized my father was my dad was so settled. The things that scared me, that bothered me, he never seemed to be worried about. He never seemed to fret about things. He always seemingly had an answer to whatever was coming. And I, and I remember saying, I, I want that. And I've told you many times that when my brother died, the thing that solidified my faith, that, that my faith was going to become my own and not my parents, was when my, when my brother died, it, it didn't rattle my parents like a death should. And I sat there and said, man, I want that kind of of steely resolve to be able to stand strong in in troubled times. And that is what Solomon is telling us that the Proverbs are for. To make us be skilled in life, the Christian should be viewed by the unbelieving world as the best practitioners of living life as there is. Does that make sense? Your neighbor should say, Man, that, that guy next door who loves Jesus and, and who, who uh, goes to church every week, boy, they know how to live life. 
They know how to do it right. But sadly, because we don't pursue the wisdom of God, our neighbor says, that neighbor of mine, just like me, just struggling through life. Can I tell you that my prayer request for my kids is that they would find the hakma of God? That I would, would train them and, and teach them and, and guide them into that hakma of God. And, and here's what, what the world says and what we buy into. That our kids need to be the best athletes on the field. That our kids need to be the best students in the classrooms. That our kids need to be the best citizens in the community. The most desirable to attend a dance with. And we train our kids and we raise our kids with those types of ideals. Not with that they will be able when they're 25 years old to take on everything in their life. Because they're walking with the wisdom of God. So that's what we need to be addressing. That's what the book of Proverbs is saying. A godly, loving father saying, Children, hear what I have to say. Notice in verse 2 that these Proverbs also help us to become alert. In verse 2, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, instruction, and equity. The idea here is the ability, in essence, to know the real deal from the counterfeit. To know the real deal from the counterfeit. Now, what does that have to do with life? The book of Proverbs is written to us so that we will know what is right and good and what is wrong and harmful for us. And so notice that we're going to learn the right words to use and and the right words to say. We're going to learn what it means to to look for the right spouse and and not to find the wrong spouse. And and we're going to learn what to do with our money and what not to do with our money. And the book of Proverbs are these short, pithy statements that remind us what's right and what's not. And so that when we see the wrong thing, the alarms go off in our minds, that's not the way to go. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go away from that which is no good to the things that are good. And that's why the book of Proverbs is so badly needed in our world today where the line between good and and evil or profitable and unprofitable has been blurred. The book of Proverbs is going to make that line a whole lot more clear for us. Notice it also is to help us become more morally astute. It says to give prudence to the simple and discretions to the youth in verse 3. The word prudent there is literally the word shrewd or or clever. And I know shrewd and clever can be used in a, a negative connotation. But, but what the writer Solomon is saying, he's speaking of it in the most positive sense of the word. Literally, what verse 3 is talking about, what the Proverbs are, are to do, the part they're to play is to give us street smarts. That when we're out in the street, we know how to handle ourselves. That if we have a problem, we know how to address it. A person who has prudence is clever and shrewd in the ways of the world. Literally, you're as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents, Jesus says. That you know what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Literally, this prudence is doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. Fourthly, we see that Proverbs are to help us age well. Notice the different age groups that are given. Uh, To give prudence to the simple, literally, that's the children. And then it says to give knowledge and discretion at the end of verse 4 to the youth, that's teenagers or young people. 
But notice in verses 5 and 6, it starts talking about older people. Let the wise, the older, the mature, hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so there's three groups of people, and I want you to get out of your mind that it's based on age. But there's the young people, literally the children. They're naive, they're gullible, they... they They need to be told exactly what to do, and the Proverbs addresses that. Just as we tell our kids, you're going to do this, 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 and this, you don't have a choice in the matter you're going to do it. Proverbs are going to write to the simple and say, you got to do these things. But then there's the the words of discretion to the youth. And and some of you are parents, and, and, and we've got as our oldest son, 11 years of age, he's starting to be given some responsibility. And so we say, okay, you're going to be left on your own, and you're going to have to make some decisions. And so it's not just telling our 11-year-old, well, this is what you're going to do in every circumstance. What now we say is now we're starting to talk in generalities. Make wise decisions, son. You know, don't put yourself in bad situations. Well, what bad situation may it be? Well, it could be a myriad of things. I don't know what they are, but be careful. And this is what you need to be looking for. And so use discretion. The book of Proverbs is going to address that. But what about those in our lives who are more mature in the faith? The book of Proverbs is going to teach us as well where we continually find guidance and insight. So what does that mean? What the book of Proverbs does is it teaches a world that is totally given over to the concept that youth is good and is to be glamorized and to be pursued by all ages. Proverbs reminds us that old and wise always wins the day. And we've lost that. I I saw at an event I was catering at, and, and don't take this too far, but... I saw something that should not have been. It was a woman well into her 70s, maybe even 80s, who was wearing glamour teenage blue jeans. And you know when you see that, you just want to shake your head and say, act your age? That's not what a... uh, I, I, I could say that the teenager shouldn't have been wearing the jeans that she was wearing, okay? But most definitely, an aged woman shouldn't have been wearing that, that, that it just was unbecoming to have low-rise pants on an older woman. It just was out of place. And here's what I want to remind you. Number one, some of us as older people are trying to hold on to youthfulness, and I will tell you, to our shame. And some of us who are in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, and, and 60s, 70s, and 80s are acting like teenagers spiritually, to your shame. The things you talk about, the things that you're focused in on, the the desires and delights that are in your heart are the things that a teenager should be using discernment to stay away from and you still get tripped up by them. And so what the book of Proverbs is wanting to remind us is that old and wise is beautiful. That it is to be seen as something as glorious. And so stop pursuing youth and start pursuing the age that God has you at, the experiences that God has given you, uh, it is spoken of in one of the Proverbs as a garland we should wear on our heads. And that we should see the the gray-haired individuals. Those who not are just gray-haired biologically, but who are gray-haired through circumstances. 
You see, uh, and I'll add this, it wasn't in my first sermon, it's extra credit, it's free to you of charge, okay? Um, when I was a young man, I, I read a book called They Smell Like Sheep, and it's a book on eldering. And, and I got so angry because I was a 20, I think 24-year-old elder, which is an oxymoron, and, and me, that's even more of an oxymoron to be a 24-year-old elder in a church. And I was reading this book, and, and the writer wrote something that totally nullified my, my being an elder. He said, in our church, we don't, hire, we don't bring on an elder unless he's got gray hairs. I said, well, I don't have very gray hairs. I'm 24. I've got lots of, of beautiful black hairs, okay? And he said, gray hairs come as a result of doing a couple things. Number one, walking with God for a long time. I said, okay, that makes sense. And then he said, walking around the devil for a long time as well. And what I've come to learn now in my 13 or 14 years being an elder in this church is that gray hairs come because we walk with God and God teaches us some hard truths, amen? He teaches us some hard things and they're not easy. But what I've also come to know is I've come to know not fully, please hear that, not fully, but I've come to know the devil's schemes a little more than I did when I was 24. I know how the devil wants to trip me up. I know the things that he uses. And now at 38, which is still young in some minds, which is ancient in other minds, okay, I get I'm a paradox there, that I've come to know how the devil works. And so this is a word to our young people I know every fiber of your being says you've got all the right answers. Let me remind you the truth that was true for me and everybody else in this room. When you're 20, you are young and dumb. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many answers you have. You are young and dumb. And let me tell you, before you think I'm being hard on you, so were the old people when they were 20. And so you need to be grabbing a hold of every scripture you can and, and, and living according to those scriptures and those precepts. And you need to grab some older people and say, I need help. I need help. And old people, you better stop living like a 20-year-old and start living like a, the old person you are and, 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 and embrace that and the experiences God's given you so that you can teach and train others. That's why the Bible says older men teach younger men and older women teach younger men. What good is it to have older men and women acting like younger men and women unless they pursue the wisdom of God that is lived out in the book of Proverbs? That's extra credit. Sorry, that's a tangent. But it's second service. I don't have to ever be done. Okay? Some of you just got scared. All right? So this is what the Proverbs are to teach us. The art of living well, to become alert, to become astute, and to age well. We want to age well as Christians. And the Proverbs remind us the great value that there is to growing old. Because we're going to be able to share some truths that we've learned about our God and in his working in our lives. So what do we do? We need to personalize the truths of the Proverbs. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But we could spend... <laughs> In eternity, years we could spend on, on, on the book of Proverbs, gleaning the truths from it. We're not. We're going to spend anywhere from nine to ten weeks on it. And, and I want to highlight some of the things that we're going to talk about just to set the, the trajectory. Because the book of Proverbs is going to challenge us. And we need to be ready for it. And we need to personalize it. Meaning we need to put our finger and say, that's a proverb for me. Not for someone else. It, you will anger your pastor. If you say, man, this is really good for the young people. Baloney, it's good for you. It's good for me. And so what are some of the things that the Proverbs are going to challenge us with? Get your pen ready and write these things down. I'm moving quickly. The Proverbs are going to challenge us to watch our words. To watch our words. 
Proverbs 10, 19 says that where there's a multiplicity of words, sin abounds. And for a guy who talks a lot, that word is a word for me. It is. It's going to teach us and challenge us to lose our laziness. Proverbs 19.24 will speak of a word or a title of a man named the sluggard. What a great word. A sluggard is a lazy individual. And in Proverbs 19.24, I love, this is so great what the Proverbs say. Solomon says a lazy person is so lazy that he'll dip his food into the dish, but will be too lazy to bring it back out. Let me put that into today's. A lazy person is a type of person who is one who is uh, dipping the potato chip, that ruffles potato chip into that glorious French onion dip. You know what I'm talking about. But he's too lazy to bring it out of the dip dish. Are you kidding me? And yet some of us are living lives that, that could be, that, that's the picture that we get of looking at your life, and, and we need to be careful of that. And that goes in, I know old people are, man, preach that, pastor. Yeah, the old young kids on those stupid video games and technology, it's like dipping a chip into dip and never eating it. Let me remind you, some of you have been on a permanent vacation with your retirements as well. We need to lose our laziness. We need to grow in our giving. Proverbs 19, 17 is going to tell us that when we are generous with others, God is generous with us. Proverbs 19, 17. We're going to find who our real friends are. The Bible says that many, or a person can have many companions. But when you find a friend who is better than a brother, you have found something glorious. Proverbs 18.24. It's going to cultivate contentment. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Where, the, where Solomon says, Lord, don't give me poverty but don't give me riches. Whatever you deem as good, I will take from your hand. I want to be content in those things. Content enough not to think I've done it on my own and content enough not to be angered by God either, to find contentment. We're going to learn how to pursue biblical parenting. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train a child in the way he should go. And we're going to learn, listen to me, we are going to learn that if you are going to parent your kids well, discipline has to be at the heart of it. That we have, listen to me, what we have born, I've seen some cute little babies uh, in this place. There's one over there, rich as God. He's got more hair than I've ever had in my entire life. Okay, if you've not seen that little baby boy, a kid's got hair, man, locks of love already, only a couple months into it, all right? I think he may be the next Samson, okay? Lots of long hair. Hopefully he'll live a little differently than Samson did, okay? But discipline, here's the thing. They're cute, but they're rebels. They're absolute rebels, sinners at the heart, man. So, so don't forget that, and that's why a parent needs a discipline. And I'll tell you, as a parent right now, that is the hardest thing to do. It's hard to do. We're going to learn how to get fit with our finances. The Bible says that we should be be careful not to pursue riches and know when to say enough is enough. Some of us haven't learned that. Some of us continue to acquire things going against the good wisdom of God because we don't know when to say enough is enough. How about selecting the right spouse? Proverbs 18.22 says, A man who finds a wife finds a glorious thing. 
Let me rephrase that. A woman who finds a husband finds a glorious thing. But let us be reminded, that's Proverbs 18.22, that when we find that, we find a good thing. But in Proverbs 21.19, it is better to, to be in a wilderness, desert, without water than it is to be in a home with a nagging and quarrelsome wife. Now, in the first service, a man amen that about as loud as I have ever heard an amen. He walked out limping, by the way. And so let me remind you that Proverbs can go the other way, gentlemen. That while it's good for wives to find a good husband, it is better to be in the wilderness and in the desert alone than to have, and I'll change it, maybe not a quarrelsome or nagging husband, but an unproductive one or a lazy one. And so we're going to learn these things. This is, this is kind of the template of, of where we're going in the weeks to come. We're going to address these things in order to become wise. But let me remind you, and let me close with three very quick principles that I think you need to ponder as we come into this. That if we're going to understand this book of Proverbs, we need to first of all acknowledge where wisdom comes from. So verse 7 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I have a, a son who wanted to stay. Uh, Aaron, is, uh, is one of my children behind you? No, he was going to stay. He heard that I talked about him in the first survey. I'm going to stay. So I've got a middle son. He will remain nameless. He's middle. His name's Josh. But uh, um, Josh is, is a smart little boy, eight years of age, man. He's a smart kid. He knows he's smart. He, that, not a lot misses him. Our, our oldest son, everything misses him, you know. But, but and he's got a great personality, but, but our middle one, man, you can't get anything by him. He, he remembers the Christmas gifts he got. Um, he, he told me the other day that, uh, um, that when I said that uh, we try to give the same amount of gifts to all the kids at Christmas, he came up in the middle of summer and says, I don't think you gave me the same amount as, uh, as my brothers. This is the kind of kid we have. And, and, and here's the thing that, that the fear of God is all about. And, and the best way to illustrate is with my eight-year-old son. When, when my son and I have discussions, my son thinks that he gets a say in the matter. Okay? And so what I will hear is I'll say, son, I need you to do this. And what I get from my middle son is, but dad, but, but dad, I have something to say about that. And then he proceeds to give me his little wisdom, eight years old, all of it, Okay? And, and, and I say, son, and I want to remind you of this, son, your dad is, is older than you, he's bigger than you, he's stronger than you, he's smarter than you. And right when I say that, Amanda kind of goes, hmm. But, but I, I want to remind you of this. I am wiser than you are. Okay? And you better listen. You're my son. That's what sons are supposed to do. They are to listen and heed the instruction of their father. Now take that and we laugh and we, and we think that that's cute with an eight-year-old kid. Now let me remind you what you and I do. God instructs us and what do we say? But God, but God, I, I've got something to say about this. You know what the fear of the Lord is? That God is wiser, stronger. He can do whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and you don't get a say in the matter, and you don't get the opportunity to say, but God. And so what we need to understand is the fear of God says, I am not God. There is a God, and I'm not him. And I better listen to what he's saying if I want things to go well with me. You want to know what the fear of the Lord is? That's it. 
And you and I don't fear the Lord when we but God and give him our side of the story. God's not looking for our side of the story. God knows what we're going to say. And we're most likely wrong when we say it. And so fear the Lord. Give him prominence. Give him first place. And understand the word comes from him. I love it when the New Testament just validates what the Old Testament says. The Bible says in Colossians, don't, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it for us. Colossians 2, 3. Where does wisdom come from? Where is wisdom embodied? Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 3, that it is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to have wisdom? Then you become the closest follower of Jesus Christ that you can. And then you'll know. And so Jesus is where we turn to because he embodies all of God's knowledge, all of God's wisdom. And so you want to live a wise life? Live the life that Jesus did. Follow his commands. Do what he says. Jesus said himself, a man who takes my words and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. The man who doesn't is a fool and builds his house on the sand. And some of you right now are living life apart from Jesus and you're building your life on the sand, not the rock of Jesus Christ. Number two, when you lack wisdom, ask for it. Ask for it. James says if anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone, if anyone, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously with all, without finding fault. So let me, I put... I, Knocked down my middle son today. Let me raise him up for you, okay? Yesterday, I come home after a long day of work, and my son, at, at 9.30, 10 o'clock last night, it was pretty late, my son meets me in the garage, and he says, Dad, can we talk? Oh, I love that. And this cute little 8-year-old kid grabs his dad's hand and walks me over to the couch, away from all the other activities of the house. He says, can we talk for a minute? Oh, you bet, son. Can I tell you, I'm glad he's not in here. Had my son asked for the moon, I would have lassoed it and given it to him. Because I long for my kids to seek me out. I long for my kids to come and ask for help. And my son said, Dad, can we do this? Could you help me do that? You betcha, son. You asked the right way. You did it right. And I want you to know when God, when you come to him, God doesn't go, you dummy. I mean, how stupid could you have been? When you go and say, Lord, I, Lord, I don't know what school I should attend in the fall. Lord, I don't know which person I should marry. Lord, I don't know what I should do with this job scenario. Lord, I don't know what to do in, in parenting this kid. God doesn't say, dummy, put the dunce cap on you and throw you over to the corner. God embraces you. Says, son, let, daughter, let's talk about this. I'm going to give you generously the wisdom you long for. And finally, it's a simple way to end a message. Proverbs are only as good as if you act on them. If you take these things and say those are good sayings, all you've done is at the end of a Chinese dinner, opened a fortune cookie and chuckled by what you saw on the little piece of paper inside of it. Act on it. If the book of Proverbs says something, do it. And so here's my challenge as you close up your Bibles and as we get ready to leave. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. And in these first 31 days that we have, I want to challenge you 
to read the Proverbs and to meditate on them. One proverb a day. It won't take you very long to read. And I want you to pull one proverb, because they're going to go all over the place. I think Solomon had a bit of ADD, okay? Because he bounces from one thing to another, and that's okay. But I want you to grab one proverb out of the, the book of Proverbs. And here's what I want you to do. And some of you have done this before, I'm sure. It's something that I've done at different times in my devotional life. Today is the 13th, I believe, right? 13th, July 13th. I want you to, to take today the 13th proverb and read it. And pull one proverb out and say, Lord, I need help with this. This thing. Whether it's my word, whether it's a decision, whether it's a, how I view things or what I'm watching. Lord, I'm going to take this one proverb and I'm going to seek wisdom in it. And I'm going to challenge you to do two things. One, ask God for wisdom. And number two, find someone you can trust. Someone who's a little older than you in the sense of experiences. Maybe been a Christian a little longer. That you could go and ask them for help as well. And I will tell you that when we do this, God is going to blow out the ceiling of what he's going to teach us through this wisdom-packed book of Proverbs. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And as we embark on this journey in the book of Proverbs, I, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that we wouldn't just speak and we would feel good about what we've heard and, and say, yeah, that's a good saying, Lord. But that we, as, as, as John prayed earlier, that we would not just be hearers of the book of Proverbs, but we'd be doers of it as well. So Lord, I pray that you would allow us to act on these things, and when we lack wisdom, we would ask for it. But Lord, we would remember that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so the wisdom that we need, the wisdom that we covet, the wisdom that is required in this daily grind called life has to come from you if it is going to be of any good for us. So Lord, I pray that we would open this book and that we would glean the, the wisdom that can come from it and that we would again act on what we read and do so to the glory and honor of you. Lord, I pray that, that as we become wise, Lord, that it would be the impetus that would draw people to us that maybe don't know you that as we live wise lives, that we would be, as Jesus said, that city on a hill that is not hidden. That it would allow people to be drawn to us so that we may draw them to you and to your words and to your source of knowledge and wisdom that each person in this world needs. Lord, I pray that it would be reminded that we can't have these Proverbs become wisdom in our lives unless we know you. And so if there's a person in this room today that's never trusted you as their savior that before they seek the wisdom of the book of proverbs that they would seek the person of wisdom that being jesus christ so lord lead us from this place into a world that is at times very unwise and lacks knowledge and let us shine like stars because we have encountered you this morning and live for you the rest of these days and this week. Bring us back next week to worship and, and to sing of the praises of what you've done because of what you've taught us today. And we do so, Lord, all to the glory and honor of your name. Now lead us from this place, Lord, in peace and in joy and the fellowship of others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.